0: We, um, we care about uh, teaching the Word of God here, we care about worshiping the Lord, and we care about having good relationships with each other, and I hope that you find that this is a friendly church and we want you here. So if you're a visitor, thanks for coming, and and we're really glad that you came. And uh, we value our children too, so that's why we take time to uh, spend a minute or so with them and, and love on them like that before they go off to class. I love to start services with a proverb. So today, being the 17th, I always just dip into the chapter that's equal to the date. Today's the 17th. So here's the one I picked. And this one, the translation came from The New Living. A truly wise person uses few words. I know you're saying, come on, Terry, that's the way you should preach, few words. <laughs> a person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> so, okay, we're, we have just started last week a series that uh, I'm calling Staying in Love, Sex, and Dating. And uh, it's interesting that I'm going to kind of jump back and forth as we go over material over the next number of weeks. I'm going to jump back and forth to sometimes seem like I'm talking to a person who's dating, and sometimes it'll seem like I'm talking to married couples, and uh, I think that those are interchangeable, the concepts that we're going to talk about. I'm pretty sure they're interchangeable. And I had, I've, I've actually had a couple people say to me, well, you know, you've got an awful lot of married people in the church, maybe mostly married people. I don't know. I'm, I, we haven't done a, a study or anything. Why are, you, why are you taking time to address this to so many people who are single? When, um, and I, I, think that it's, I just think that it's really relevant. But beyond that, I just want to say this right now. I, I would do this if there was one single person in this church. I would do that because I really feel like this is driven by the Spirit of the Lord to address these issues. And if you are married and I happen to be talking to single pe- persons more than, you know, than, than I ought to, um, I want to say this. You have influence with single people or maybe someday you'll be the parent. And the things that we're talking about here will be really helpful at some point. So um, that's, why, that's why, and it might, sound, so it might sound like I'm not talking to you, but I promise you I'm talking to you the whole time. Okay. Is that all right? Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. If you don't talk back to me, I'm going to get really, I'm going to turn into the psycho up here. I'm going to think like something's wrong because nobody's (laughs) listening. So um, you have to talk back to me sometimes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So last week we started and we talked about the right person myth. The myth that says, if I just find the right person, everything else is just going to work out. You see it with every Disney movie. You know, The prince has to go and slay the dragon or some, do something with the ugly stepmother or whatever it is. But if you can just get the two together, Lisa and I went and saw Aladdin. If you can just get the two together, the prince and the princess, everything's going to work out. And it sounds so wonderful. It's kind of like, it's, it's so dreamy, makes great movies. It's just not true. It's it's good to find the right person, but that's not the end of the story. That you know that that helps us to ignite the fire. That helps us with chemistry, but it's not enough. Although we all feel like it is at the time, we all feel like it when we're doing that. We in, in, instead, so we talked. We spent some time last week talking about finding the right person isn't enough. It's, it's more about becoming the right person. And we talked about First Corinthians thirteen. If you didn't get. Um, if you didn't get to hear the message last week, it's a good starting point for where we're going to go for a while. So it's free on the webpage, or you can get a CD. It's free. Help yourself to it. We'd, I'd like to help you, help you uh, to get along with that. I, I think that today it's fair to say that it's, it's easier to fall in love than it's ever been before. I'll tell you why a little bit later. But I also think it's harder to stay in love. Is it possible? I want to ask this question today. Is it possible for two people... To stay in love together forever, the answer I think is yes. Um, you know, I, I think Jesus taught us some things about enduring love thousands of years ago. Uh, I, I'm always hesitant to start talking about movies, you know, because people will think that I'm endorsing a movie, or I might like the message of a movie, but there might depict something in the movie that I really don't think is appropriate. So I want to say this right now: when I when I make a reference like this, many may have seen the movies that I might mention. I'm not endorsing movies. If I want to endorse a movie, I'll say, I'm endorsing the movie. Otherwise, I'm just using it as a point of reference, okay? okay. <laughs> Way to go, Eric. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so, so Eric. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there was a, I think it was 2007 or eight, something like that, there was a movie that was nominated for Best Picture of the Academy Awards. It was named Juno. You maybe have seen it. It was a story about this uh, teenage girl. She lived in a middle-class um, family with uh, her father and her stepmother, and she gets pregnant. And uh, so the story goes on that she, she uh, first thing that she does is she heads off to an abortion clinic, and um, uh, I don't, this is a rabbit trail. I want to be careful not to get down, go, on, go down this rabbit trail, but there's a person protesting out front who's a Christian saying, you know, you don't really don't want to do this, and of course they portray the Christian as a nut. But that's the rabbit trail. But she goes in, and for whatever reason, the things that this girl says out front, plus I believe the spirit of the Lord prevailed upon her heart, I'm writing into the movie more than, <laughs> more than the author writes into it, she changes her mind and decides to keep the baby, to, to have the baby. But she also decides that she's not prepared to be a mother and a family leader, so her deal is to find somebody, find a nice couple somewhere that can raise her child. Seems noble seems like a seems like making a good solution out of a difficult problem, and so she finds this really nice couple they seem they're really excited, and as the movie progresses, um, some problems show up, and this really nice couple decides to split split up so here's Juno she's got her own viewpoint on life she sees the stuff that goes on socially in high school, which is challenging, right a lot of Social problems and interactions that are difficult and hard and harsh, and uh, then she's from a broken family. Her parents were divorced, and now she finds what she thinks is the Disney family, the perfect fairy tale family that are going to take her child. They really want it, and now they're splitting up. And uh, so she's kind of heartbroken about this, and she she wanders into her house one day, and this is this was the part of the movie that captured me. She she walks in, and her father who is astute, sees something painted on her face, and he's concerned, and calls her Junebug, and he says, hey, what's going on? What's going on in there? I can see something's going on in there. And she, they have this wonderful, wonderful tender conversation. Earlier in the movie, this, this, this man, this father, does a remarkable job of dealing with news that no father wants to hear, <laughs> Right? And, and um, you know, so there's this, so now this further down, and they're having this tender conversation, she sees this image, she sees this, this problem, and uh, so she is going to talk to her dad, and she asks a question that I think a lot of people ask, I think she asks a question that kind of perches on the edge of our culture all the time, because of the divorce rate, because of what people experience in their own families, I think, this, I think this question just sits there all the time. And she asks it in a couple of ways. Here's the Juno dilemma. Can two people stay together for good? She says it in a second way. I just need to know that it's possible two people can stay together happy forever. Am I kidding myself? Is it possible? Is it just a dream? Or does it really ever happen anywhere? And in spite of what you've seen, in spite of your current marriage or maybe in spite of your previous marriage or maybe in spite of the fact that your mom and your dad got divorced, in spite of the divorce rate, in spite of what culture will tell us right now, I want to say to you that it's possible. And I think that you all carry that with you anyway. I think we all carry with us the belief that somehow it's possible that it can happen, that relationship can can form, gel, and stay together. And not only do we believe it's possible, we believe it's possible for us, for me. Yeah, yeah, in spite of all that stuff, I really believe it is. So there's this glimmer of hope in us that, you know, someday we'll find true love and it'll stay there and it'll stick. Now, this is just my opinion, but my opinion is that that is a little bit of the image of God at, at work in your heart, the belief that it can happen and it can happen in you. I think that's there's something in us that would say, you know, when I get old, I want to find that I'm with someone and we may not be the cutest, we may not be the most talented, we may not be the richest, but there's still something special and we're going to finish together and we're going to finish together well. So the answer to your answer to the Juno question might come out something like this. Yes, it's possible. I'm not sure if it's probable. I know it's possible, it's possible even for me. I, I just, just don't know though if it's really gonna happen. I just don't know if the odds are with me. You know, we need to talk here for just a minute or so about falling in love. And I'm not gonna spend much time on this topic. We only need about thirty seconds because falling in love is simple. You only need one thing to fall in love a pulse. That's all it takes. If you got a pulse, you can fall in love. I don't mean to demean it. I don't mean to demean it. But, I mean, I mean, come on. Some of you are in love with people you've never met. There's somebody on a TV show. You see them come on, and every week you're there at that time because, oh, right? Not you guys. Not you tough guys. I know. You don't fall in love. There's never any image that you idea that you would fall in love. Yeah, we, you know, all we need is a pulse. In fact, we can f- be, you know, ooh-la-la. La. We, we, there, are, there are 1,500 organizations in the United States who, if you pay them some money and fill out a form, they will match you up with someone specially chosen for you. It's never been easier to fall in love because of all kinds of social networking. But it's also never been more difficult to stay in love but it's what we want. It's what we want. It's what we're looking for. We're looking for the one. We know it's possible. It's something in you and me that wants to finish life that way in love. So, but I want to talk about some of the factors that make it difficult for us to stay in love. So we'll just spend a couple minutes on this, and then we'll get to something a little better. Um, okay, factors that make it difficult to stay in love. One, very few people have ever seen a really healthy, love and lasting relationship. I mean, very few people have actually seen a relationship where they watched their mother and their father truly give themselves in love to each other, working through the problems and working through the challenges and staying together. Very few people have actually seen that. Now, maybe the odds are higher in this room that you've, many of more of you have seen. I don't know, though. I really don't know about that. But you look... At schools, I mean, there were times where our kids um, were in their classes, and I remember one class, and I don't remember which, which grade it was, but it was a class of about 31 children, and it was like 27 of the kids came from families that, had, that did not have their same biological mother and father in the same family anymore. 27 out of 31. Very, it's really, really common. In fact, what is normal? Out there, it's it's not a lot of people. So consequently, the model that that we have played out before us about how relationships work as we're growing up is a little bit different. We see, we we, almost can make that model can almost make it impossible to stay in love. The model says things like this: Do unto others as they deserve to be done unto, or do unto others as they do unto you, or or maybe do unto others until you're ready to leave. It isn't all, you, you look at that and you think, that's not at all what, how I want to live my life. But you don't see the alternative. So consequently, what, you know, for many of us, as we grow up, we're just ill-equipped to survive in a long-term loving relationship. We just don't have the tools. No one has taught us the practical parts of this. And we're thinking that it has to just be the chemistry. So we got to make s- this right decision. And we got to make that right decision when we're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, Right? Because that's when those chemistries, chemistry set comes out full blast, right? We've got to make the right decision, yet we lack the life experience. And the decision's got to be so loaded with correctness that it's got to take us a lifetime. Boy, the odds, if we rely on that, are so small for success. What are we going to do? So being ill-equipped. So very few of us have seen. A second factor that makes it really difficult to stay in love is because of what we felt when we grew up. You know, some of us... Um, some, some really, really smart people came up with a list of what children need to feel as they're growing up through adolescence to come out really in a healthy place to succeed at a long-term relationship. Wow, okay, now this is overwhelming, all right? And I'm not sure how you can quantify how accurate this is, but there's this list that they've come up with what things, uh, th- things children need. So here are 10 things kids need in order to be emotionally equipped for a long-term relationship. Respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, and affection. That's what they need, those 10 things. Does that sound like the family that you grew up in? I mean, we're talking massive doses of those things are what kids need in order to come out healthy. Wow, what a challenge. Now, there are other lists out there. I looked at a lot of different lists that went from what kids need. Here's another one. It's a little different. This is a a list of what kids want. Now, the list was written by the grown-ups because no kids talk like this, okay? So social scientists spent time trying to figure out by talking to kids and interacting with them what they want. Here's what they want from their parents. They want patience, understanding, listening, soft voices, structure, consistency, love, freedom, connected to responsibility, family, extended family, and role models. That's what they, th- they communicated that they need. But here's what oftentimes is what they get. Here's what our society is dishing out to our kids, in, in big, of course, not in this room, but here's what society is dishing out in large quantities. Um, the Boston Consulting Group, which is a think tank, um, have produced some statistics, and they say that the market for luxury clothing for children, not just clothes, luxury clothing for children, and uh, we'll say children, infant, toddlers, and preschoolers, the littlest ones, in the United States is $14.5 billion. So there are a lot of parents out there that don't give a second thought to spending over $100 on a pair of size six true religion jeans. Okay, nothing wrong with... I mean, I love it when we doll our kids up. But I mean, we are putting into our children luxury clothing. The whole luxury segment of supplies for little kids, the, the preschool-age kids, including all the other accoutrements that we give them, is $45 billion annually. $45 billion. But they don't need that. That's not what they need. It's, it's okay. Bless them. If you got it, go ahead and take care of you. Do that kind of stuff. But don't replace what they need with what they're getting here's what they need respect encouragement comfort security support acceptance approval appreciation attention and affection if that's what it takes if that list is what it takes for you and me when we grow up as children if that's what it takes for us to be prepared to succeed what are the odds for success when we get to 17, 18, 19, 20, when we get to where we think we're ready to make those long-term decisions, how really equipped are we? Now, I think as parents, please don't be overwhelmed by this because I think every parent tries to do this. (laughs) And I think a lot of parents do a really great job at it. I think they do. But I think the world is peeling away at it at the same time. The world is peeling away at the same time. So I meet you and I fall in love and And uh, I don't know how to say this, but I'm wondering if when I do, you're going to give me respect, encouragement, comfort, security, support, acceptance, approval, appreciation, attention, and affection. Or are you just cute? (laughs) Or do you just have a good job? (laughs) Because once we get into a long-term relationship and we say, I do what can start out as a wonderful loving embrace around the neck can actually turn into a stranglehold. (laughs) It can. It can. Because I came into the relationship with this relational deficit of everything on this list. And if you don't give it to me, and I need it, pretty soon the chemistry set kind of wears out, and the love and the fire starts to, to smother. And... There's problems. Here is a disturbing statement and statistic. I, I'm going to say this. Fathers have become too optional in American society. This We have been camped out as a nation at a particular statistic for quite a while now. 40% of all children born in America right now, 40% are born without a father figure in their home. 40%, that's almost half. 40% are going to grow up without a, with, with no regular, stable male influence in their upbringing. So many kids are ill-equipped to succeed and they're just going to enter into this process with a huge relational deficit. Okay, factor, another factor that makes it difficult, number three. Our culture has a really low relational threshold of pain. You've probably seen it, it which, which basically means that things don't have to hurt very much before we decide, okay, I'm out of here. They don't have to hurt very bad. Too many people have taken the words, I do and I will, and translated them into more of a ceremony rather than a covenant promise. And you know, so the, the idea is that if you're not happy in your current relationship, then obviously you're with the wrong person you chose wrong, you need to rechoose, reboot, get with the right person, get out there and start over. The myth is that if you keep looking long enough, you'll find the right person. The truth is, when you talk to people that have been married for 20 or 30 years, they'll tell you there were times along their process where they thought, what was I thinking? I'm not so sure this is the right person for me. They thought that because culture tells us to think it. But then they'll also tell you that when they're, when they're thinking cleared up, they'll realize that the person's the right ch- person because they chose to make them the right person and that they are so glad that they pressed through. They're so glad that they worked through those. And the problem is that we don't get any help from our culture with that kind of thinking. You might want to finish well but the odds are against it. But thankfully, we're just not finished with that. In all that chaos, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus speaks, and uh, so he's with his, his, his guys, and um, he gives us the foundations for enduring love relationships. And I, I have to tell you where I'm gonna go right now. I'm a little nervous because this is so simple. <laughs> Seems so simple. You know, it's not the way we normally think. In fact, it's so simple, you might, when I blurt this out, you might say, well, we've heard that before. Come on, Terry. I got my wife here. She needs to hear about this. Come on, this is your chance to straighten her out. Let's go, right? (laughs) But if you just, along your way, you find the people that make you say, wow, when I get to that age and when my marriage has had that many years, I hope it looks something close to that. When you see that image and you're saying that to yourself about that couple, if you could ask them, if what I'm going to tell you is true, they would tell you it is. So, okay, so here's, here's uh, Jesus. And uh, this answer is so simple and so accessible if you just accept the simple teaching of Jesus. Okay, John 13, 34. Here's Jesus talking. He says, a new command I give you. Now, Jesus got his guys together. He knows they have 10 commandments. He knows they have another 700 laws that support those 10 commandments. And so he says, I'm going to give you something new. And what he's going to tell us isn't, doesn't all really, really feel all that new. But the Greek word new here can have several other meanings. It can mean extraordinary. It can mean hidden. It can mean recently discovered. It can, can, can mean remarkable. So when he says new, he could say, I'm going to give you a new commandment that's remarkable. And if you sit on it and let it realize and merit it in your heart, you'll find out that it's a remarkable command. And here's the command, love one another. Oh, Pastor Terry, come on. Couldn't you have studied harder than that? Couldn't you come up with something better than that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but listen, if you're not careful here, you are miss what Jesus is saying, and it's profound. It'll slip right past you. Because he takes a little tiny word, love, that you and I traditionally use as a noun, and he uses it as a verb. Remember our English lesson earlier? He takes the person, place, or thing, the description about how we feel, and instead, he uses it as a verb. It's an imperative. It's a command. He says, I want you to go out and to love one another. I know love is something like a pool that you fall into, or it's like you know something you fall out of like a high chair. No. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's He's saying it's a verb. Okay, so like if back in the day you had been having trouble and you decided to go to Jesus as a marriage counselor, it might have gone off something like this. Say, hey, hey, Jesus, you gotta help me out because, you know, if I told you what my wife does, she does this and she does that and all this kind of stuff. And he would say, well, hold on a second. Do you love her? And you might say, well, I used to. And he'd say, no, 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 that's a noun. I'm asking you, do you love her? And he'd, he'd, you, you might go kind of scratch your head. He'd say, you know I'm going to fix your relationship with you, but I want you to go home and love each other. And you might answer, but, but we don't love each other. He'd say, no, 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 no. You ought to because you're married, but we don't. And Jesus would say, no, no, you're still confusing this noun with the verb. I want you to go home and to love. Not what you're feeling, but you need to quit treating love like a noun and start treating it like a verb. So here's the bottom line. The foundation for staying in love is to make love a verb. Snickers in the room. (laughs) Catchy though, right? You'll remember this. Okay? Okay? (laughs) Snickers in the room. You know, so the feeling, the feeling of love is the caboose, not the engine. The more you make love a verb the more you'll make love. Okay, I'm done with that. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so, can I say that actually in church? Boy, I can't believe I said that. He says, I want you to learn how to actively love one another. It's something that you do. When two people love one another, it kindles something. It lights something. Passion and fire. Now, I realize I've scratched on a surface here and I'm going to come back to this in coming days and weeks. You know, this, There's so many different directions we can go here. This is going to be a series. I hope that's okay with you, but that's kind of where we're going. So he, Jesus goes on and he says, okay, he's, uh, maybe this is part of the new commandment. So he goes on and say, he says, love one another. He says, verse 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let me retranslate that in a different way. The way I loved you. Don't take your cues from culture about love. Don't take your cues even from your parents, even if they had a terrific life, even if they have a terrific marriage. That's not your cue. That's not your example for love. You have to do it the way I love. This is Jesus talking. I want you to take your cues from me. And I'm not going to teach you how to be in love. I'm going to teach you how to stay in love. But if it's going to happen, you've got to make it a verb because to stay in love, you've got to make love a verb. Now there were um, there's a point here a little bit a few years later. We got Paul, the Apostle Paul. He comes along teaching the basic same idea, but he uses a really bad word, and uh, it's a word that our culture hates. In fact, we kind of don't use it very much, and uh, because it shows up in these scriptures, we tend tend to discount sections of scripture because it has this word in it, and. Um, But he's taking the very same idea Jesus is teaching using this different word. Now, this word makes it stick just a little bit harder and it causes us to say, well, I just don't know about that. But I'm telling you, if you can take this and translate this into the way you love, it's extraordinarily powerful. And it illustrates what Jesus is saying when he said, love one another. Ephesians 5.21, here's Paul teaching. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, it's like saying, In our relationship, you are the priority. It's like this holy argument that goes on between two people. You are the priority. If you've ever seen it in a marriage, it's really powerful when it works, but it's a little bit scary because somebody's got to go first. So if you're at odds, it's a little bit scary because somebody's got to go first. But this is the quality that when you see that couple and you say someday I want to be like they are, this is the quality that you see at work. That both of the both members of the, of the of the partnership have the ability to submit to the other. That's the foundation. You actively verb love one another, not because of money or not because of birth order or some other artificial caste system. It's a choice you make, regardless of who I am. This is just a choice that you make. I'm going to place myself under you, even as you place yourself. I mean, it's, there's no way to draw this out with geometry because it just doesn't work. The point is that you're always trying to hold the door open for the other person who's trying to hold the door open for you. It might not make any sense, but when you see it and experience it, it's a foundation for staying in love. And Jesus says, basically, I want you to stay in love. I want you to submit, and I want you to use me as your foundation. So that's basically what he's saying. For me as a pastor, I can tell you um, how grateful I am when I see somebody come from some sort of a dysfunctional circumstance, and see the lights come on here. And I see marriage is transformed. And this is the trick. This is the trick. You know, um, I do see couples. There are people who say, hey, we want some, we're having trouble with our marriage coming. And and, uh, I'm not a trained, qualified marriage counselor. So somebody comes here. The best I can do is help you figure out what the word of God says about your dilemma. And as best as I can and as willing as you might be to let us address your attitudes or maybe the conditions and beliefs that are in your heart concerning what the Word of God teaches, that's the best I can do. And what I've just told you, I've seen translate marriages time after time after time. But it's kind of scary. I see people get healed and I, and I see that. Seeing God model this for us by sacrificing, and giving his only son, is the best example we can find of how love works, of, of submitting yourself to an. Uh, so back to the original question that I wanted to ask. Is it possible for two people to see each other and fall in love and stay in love? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't happen by chemistry. It happens by making love a verb and actively pursuing relationship. Then they'll stay in love and the love will last and last and last I would marry you again all over, the, all over the place Only I would do it faster the next time <laughs> I was too young to get married but, but you know what I'm talking about I mean I would The answer to the Juno question is yes But it's not because you pick the right person It's because after you choose the right person You did the right things Finding the right person is part of it, but becoming the right person is the rest of it. And the right thing is you love as a verb, love as a verb, love as a verb. That's the foundation. And that's, that's where I wanted to take you today. We're going to explore mutual submission. We're gonna explore men's attitudes. We're gonna explore a lot of fun things in the coming weeks. I'm having a lot of fun preparing for this, and I'm being changed That's probably a good thing, too. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Lord, um, I'm full of gratitude today. Seeing, Lord, the way that you desire for us the best things. I know that love and loving relationship is part of the very feast that you talked to us today about through the scripture in Isaiah 25. I'm grateful, Lord, for love. I want to pray, Lord, right now for, um, first, God, for people in this room who are in the dating and courting process, or that they will be. Lord, I know that I've said before to um, my daughter, my sons, and their friends, particularly when they were younger, that I said, be careful, do not give your heart away. Don't give your heart away carefully. Be careful, don't give it away easily. I want to pray over people here who are single and may at some point be dating or um, courting, or maybe they are now. I ask God for you to grant to us wisdom about giving our heart away. That the chemistry that pulls so hard, the fire and the passion that pulls so hard, Lord, would somehow be tempered by your spirit so that we might make spiritually Um, rational decisions so that, Lord, as we begin to invest our heart in a relationship that could become long-term, that, Lord, we will see the things that you would require of us to be as we enter into into relationship. I pray, I want to pray over married couples right now and I ask God for any in any quarter in this room where the fire might just right now be this smoldering smoke maybe and maybe there's no flame present your word promises that you won't quench that, God. That you won't let it smother. And, and, and so, Lord, not only do we pray about our walk with you, but I pray over marriages, Lord, in this room. And I ask God for something of lifting, a lifting off of the weight, God, of incorrect expectation, incorrect expectations, of a lifting off, Lord, of untruth. And I ask God for something of freedom and release concerning love in this room. I pray, Lord, that this little concept of making love a verb would become something new, new and fresh, even in places that it's been done in the past but have been forgotten. So, Lord, I just pray for blessing upon long-term loving relationships. That, Lord, your word does say that it's by this that the world will know that we are yours, by the way we love one another. Let it show up on us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.